Ephesians. That kind of goes with the territory. So let's open to the 10th verse. And I'm going to read through the 13th verse of Ephesians chapter 6. I do, as I always tell you this, but especially when we have guests in the house, I read from the NIV typically. And if you do not have an NIV with you, uh, it's going to be up on the, on the screen behind me. So with that said, let's look at Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, because of that, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. This morning, I would like to speak to you on the subject that I've entitled, Useful Idiots. If there's any historians or students of history in this room, you are way ahead of the game, simply by the title of my message. However, I would like to begin this message by saying that this message is not about the armor of God. Not exactly. Um, I will be speaking about some of the things that the Bible says about the armor, but I'm not going to be specifically addressing the armor itself. Not directly. Okay? So, the first thing out of the gate that we want to do this morning is make special note. Make special note of the command that the Apostle is giving to his readers. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That is not a statement that needs to be used as a bumper sticker or as some other such thing that we read, we blow through at blinding speed with our foot all the way down on the gas and not pay attention to. The Apostle says, finally, he's winding this letter down. He's about to exit the letter to the church at Ephesus and he says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. I want you to look, just like we did last week, I want you to look at the screen, and I want you to notice the verbiage that's being used through here. Jay, if I can have that screen up, I'd appreciate it. There we go. All of this is taking place in verse 10, as is indicated, and as I mentioned last week, of course, this being the New Testament, all of the original language here is found in the Greek, okay? So, the words in the in the quotation marks, that's the English word that's being used. In the first case, it's the word strong. What that means is be empowered. Be empowered, even increase in the strength that you have. Okay? So if we take that in context, be strong, be empowered in the Lord. Increase in your strength in the Lord. That's what the Apostle is trying to get across here. In. Now realize the word in seems like a very insignificant word. But believe it or not, sometimes it's these teeny tiny little nano words that possess a great deal of power. And in this case, be strong in. The word in here denotes a fixed position. This isn't fluid. This isn't dynamic. This is a fixed place. Being strong by virtue of your position in God. So, this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us. 
based on the reality that you, the believer in Jesus Christ, find yourself positioned in Christ through the shed blood on the cross, you need to increase in your strength. You need to be empowered. Why? Because you're fixed in Him and you can. Let's move on. The word Lord here. That word in the Greek is referencing Him as the supreme authority. And power and might. Dominion and strength. Power, His power, dominion, might, strength. The supreme authority's dominion, which means He rules over all. And He does so in strength. So with that said, when the Apostle Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, he says, increase your strength in your, because of your position in Him. And He is the supreme Lordy, Lord, the supreme authority who has absolute dominion and strength. Therefore, when He tells you to be strong in the Lord, He's telling you to do a sure thing. It's fixed in Him. Do you understand? I have a low-frequency feedback here coming from somewhere. So that's the first thing we need to understand, that all this armor of God discussion, spiritual warfare stuff, first and foremost, finds its foundation in the, in the admonishment to increase in your strength because you're fixed in Him. You're not going anywhere. And by virtue of that, you can, you can count on this to work out for you because the supreme leader, the supreme authority, has absolute dominion and strength. Increase in that. So basically what He's telling you to do is fix your focus on Christ. Because all of the power, all of the dominion, all of, the, all of that is fixed in Him. He is the one who takes care of us. Amen? Okay. Well, how are we supposed to do that? How is it that we're supposed to do that? How are we supposed to be empowered, even increase in our strength? How? Well, I, I, the, the Scriptures, if we will slow down long enough to read with understanding... The Scriptures will explain themselves to us because they're a living thing. Amen? The Bible says in James, the word is quick, meaning it's alive, and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. In other words, if you'll do your part and give the Word of God the opportunity to do its part, it will. And it will find you in a way to give you understanding. Amen? Okay. So how do we do this? How do we increase in strength? By putting on the full armor of God. That's what you do. Okay? That makes sense, right? Don't put on some of it. You put on all of it. You put on all of the armor. Every piece of it. That's what you do. Well, how does, this, how does this armor make us strong in the Lord and in His mighty power? How does the armor do that? By putting the armor of God on, your spirit man becomes armored. Your spirit man becomes what is known as hardened. A hardened spirit. Not in the biblical sense, but in the sense that I'm about to explain to you. How many of you, with a raised hand, have ever heard the phrase or the term hard target? Anybody here ever heard the words hard target? For the vast majority of you who did not raise your hands, I'm about to give you a brief explanation. An example of a hard target, for example, would be a military base, a military installation. Why? Because a hard target is not something you can just stroll into whistling while eating a ham sandwich and drinking a Dr. Pepper. A hard target has barriers and layers of protection around it and guards, let's not forget that, where accessing this particular place is somewhat less than 
an easy task. On the other hand, um, an example of a soft target would be something like, as we have seen far too much of, a public school or a shopping mall where there is little to no protection whatsoever. Our goal here is to have a hardened spirit. For our purposes this morning, a hard target is a person who because of their actions and the protective measures that they have taken is able to minimize the risk of successful temptations while simultaneously presenting themselves as an unattractive target for such temptations. How this is accomplished is through the use of fortified barriers. In the case of believers, the armor, that armor, that hardening is comprised of six things. Truth, righteousness, peace that comes from the gospel, faith, salvation, and the Word of God. That is your fortified layering that gives you the capacity to become a hard target. Is everybody following me this morning? Okay. Through the layering of these six pieces of armor, by spiritually clothing yourselves, by implementing them into your daily life and into your daily living, one fortifies themselves spiritually, becoming an unattractive target to the enemy. Now, with respect to this assault on Israeli sovereignty, multiple commentators that I heard made the statement there have been intelligence failures in this case. Yeah. You think? However, in our case as believers, when we go about the process of fortified layering of our spirit man with truth, righteousness, the peace that comes through the gospel, faith, salvation, and the Word of God. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul then tacks on praying in the Spirit. But those six things, if we go about, there is no intelligence failures if you're putting on the whole armor of God. You are armoring your spirit man. You are hardening your spirit man and you become a very unattractive target. Doesn't mean that the enemy gives up. (laughs) How many of you old timers who know exactly what I'm talking about with the armor of God have ever had an assault on your life by the enemy? It's not that he gives up. But in unhardened targets, people do tend to give up because they don't understand where God is. When in reality, there has been an intelligence breakdown. That is how the armor makes us strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Okay, but why are we supposed to do that? There's really one basic reason why we want to become a hard target. Why are we putting on the armor of truth? the armor of righteousness and peace, the armor that is faith and salvation, and the hardening with the Word of God. Why do we do that? So that, this is Bible now, this is our text verses, you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's why you do it. Because there are going to be schemes and there is a devil And he's going to try to do his best to derail you from what it is that God has intended for you. And let's be honest. If you boil everything God's got for you down and render it down into the bottom of uh, the, the most foundational concepts, he's looking to get you into his eternity. That's it. So if he can keep you from that, that's what he's going to do. So that's why you have this armor so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And why exactly are we told to do these things? Because our struggle 
And this is the thing that we get hung up on more often than not. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against the people that we, you and I, interact with. We find ourselves even in conflict with at times. Our struggle is not against them because it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's why we do this. Amen? Okay. Is everybody still with me? Therefore, or because of all of this, harden yourselves in God's armor. So then, so that when, not if, this isn't a if this happens. No, this is going to happen. When the day of evil comes, and there is a day of evil coming, you may be able to stand your ground. Basically, what we're saying, while y'all are quiet today for a Pentecostal Spirit-filled church, wow! Either you're that tired or I'm that bad of a preacher. We're going to go with the first selection. And the Scriptures continue on after you have done everything. After you have done everything. That is, after you have put on all of God's armor, the armor that He has supplied to you, the armor that He has crafted for you, and all of the stuff that putting on His armor entails, once you've done that, to stand. Okay? To stand. Now, despite our tendency to look at the world around us and blame those people in power that populate our news feeds for all of the world's ills, we are not in a fight with the likes of those by the last name of Clinton, Obama, Biden, and the like. Despite the fact that it is exceptionally easy to place blame on the likes of these kinds of people. After all, they are the face of the corruption and the chaos we are experiencing, right? They are the poster children, right? No, they're not. No, they're not. That's why I said it's so easy to blame them. Because they're the ones sitting right in front of you. We have to realize and we have to internalize. We have to accept the reality that we are not in a contest against flesh and blood. I promise you, there's a much larger, darker, and more insidious plan going on here. Far beyond the suits that walk Washington hallways. Unfortunately for them, unfortunately for them and people just like them, they are merely useful idiots. The first known use of the phrase useful idiots was in 1864, where the term was originally coined as a way to describe communist sympathizers and was defined as citizens of a non-communist country sympathetic to communism who was regarded by communists as naive and susceptible to manipulation for propaganda and other purposes. Lenin referred to these mindless fools who helped promote the communist cause as, quote, deaf-mutes. End quote, in Russian. However, Ludwig von Mises translated the term into English, rendering it useful idiots, which is a much, much more apt description of what Lenin actually thought of them 
and how he felt of them. It refers to those who pushed the party line automatically on command. Communist insiders following Lenin described people who wanted to believe such fairy tales as useful idiots. Let me pause right here for just a moment and tell you if you haven't figured it out by now. What with the use of our text scripture and the explanations that followed, when I speak of useful idiots here, I'm not channeling my inner Joseph McCarthy. And if you don't know who that is, look the name up on the internet. I'm not actually talking about a political philosophy or doctrine to corrupt, undermine, and irreversibly change the course of our country. It's not what I'm talking about. That idea is merely a symptom of a much larger and more insidious plan. More on that in another sermon in the future. P.J. O'Rourke wrote, quote, At the core of liberalism is the spoiled child. Miserable, as all spoiled children are. Unsatisfied, demanding, ill-disciplined, despotic, meaning tyrannical or dictatorial, and useless. Liberalism is a philosophy of sniveling brats. End quote. Now, in order to understand what O'Rourke was saying here, we need to look no further than the man who created communism. In his book, Who, is, Who Was Karl Marx?, James Simpson wrote these words, It turns out that progressivism's end product is merely the reflection of Marx's personality, played out in a devastating effect on the world stage. End quote. Interestingly, Marx wasn't even a communist at first. Go figure. Though he was born to Jewish parents, Karl Marx, early in his life, was ironically raised Christian. Marx's high school writings show a strong Christian influence. His graduation essay was entitled, On the Union of the Faithful with Christ. Here's an excerpt. Thus, Union with Christ consists in the most intimate, most vital communion with Him, in having Him before our eyes and in our hearts, and being so imbued with the highest love for Him, at the same time we turn our hearts to our brothers whom He has closely bound to us, and for whom also He sacrificed Himself. That sounds pretty Christian to me. Karl Marx, a one-time Christian. Who knew? I didn't know that. But it was nevertheless the case. Soon after high school, however, Marx turned away from Christianity and his writings became conspicuously anti-God. Some have suggest Satanist, even violent. Here is an example of a poem that Marx wrote. And this is really fun, so hold on. With disdain, I will throw my gauntlet full in the face of the world and see the collapse of this pygmy giant whose fall will not stifle my ardor, meaning passion. Then I will wander godlike and victorious through the ruins of the world and giving my words an active force I will feel equal to the Creator. Yeah, that's a little different than the graduation paper. Here, Marx reveals to the world that he did not, he was not an atheist. If you notice the last line of that, that uh, poem, he actually speaks of the Creator himself. He actually believed in God. But rather than dismiss God as a myth, Marx sought to replace him. Note how closely his poem, Challenging God, tracks and resembles with how God described 
Satan in Isaiah chapter 14. Everyone here will recognize this. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. On the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That sounds vaguely familiar. Borderline plagiarized. Communist turned whistleblower Whitaker Chambers wrote concerning communism in his book, Witness. It is the great alternative faith of mankind. Like all great faiths, its force derives from a simple vision. Other ages have had great visions. They have always been different versions of the same vision. The vision of God and man's relationship to God. The communist vision is the vision of man without God. It is the vision of man's mind displacing God as the creative intelligence of the world. James Simpson wrote, quote, Whether Marx knew it or not, he was preaching Satanism. End quote. Well, that last sentence begs the question, what exactly then is Satanism? If communism at its core isn't just another political philosophy, it's not just another political doctrine that carries with it a desperate, a desperate at the helm, but promising a utopian society. If it's not just another twisted political concept, and yet it finds its roots and its foundation in Satanism, I think that it, it, it kind of behooves you and I to know what Satanism is. Now, we all have images of what Satanism conjures up in our minds, right? It's just the darkest stuff you've ever seen, right? Well, when asked the question, what is Satanism? In an interview with Columbia Magazine, one year ago, this month, blogger, journalist, and author of The Little Book of Satanism, a lady by the name of La Carmina, said this, There are many different kinds of Satanists, but most now, listen carefully. But most don't actually believe in Satan and don't worship him as either a god or as a force of evil. For the most part, Satanists are non-theists. Therefore, they wouldn't elevate someone to God's status. And view Satanism as a personal liberation from traditional theistic beliefs. We value nonconformity and revolt against the ideas of superstition and arbitrary authority. Modern Satanists are nonviolent and interested in the pursuit of reason, justice, and truth. Let me just stop right here. In other words, they are, in, they are interested in a uh, pursuit of reason, justice, and truth. Little side commercial here. Do you remember last week, Cluster B? And all of the things that make you and I look at our television screens and our news feeds and go, the world has gone mad? LGBTQ plus rights. Um, transgender rights. Um, um, abortion on demand, etc., etc. By definition, those are the causes of reason, justice, and truth that Satanists would back. Okay? Got that on the fly. Now we're back to our regular scheduled program. When asked, 
Why use Satan if you don't actually believe in him? La Carmina said this. Essentially, Satan is a metaphor. We believe in the historical idea of Lucifer as a light bringer. A principled rebel angel willing to stand up against arbitrary rules of authority. Okay, I'm going to let you sit there for a second and digest that. Satan's not real. He is a metaphor. For anything that would rebel and revolt against standardized traditional authority and its figures, including the idea of theism, that is, God. Okay? Do we all have this firmly ensconced into our minds? I'm going to encapsulate what La Camilla just said. So according to a 21st century Satanist, Satanists don't believe in God, but do believe in the idea of Satan. But not a literal Satan, choosing rather to believe Satan is a metaphor for nonconformity and rebellion against arbitrary authority that's been imposed on the individual freedoms such as, which I just mentioned a moment ago, reproductive rights and LGBTQ plus causes and who revolt against the ideas of superstition, meaning a belief in a literal God and a literal Satan. That is the Reader's Digest version of a 21st century Satanist. And with that, I say this. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. I don't know about anybody else in this room. I'm just going I can't speak for you. You speak for yourselves. But that sounds a lot like a very literal deceiving Satan to me. In the movie, The Usual Suspects, actor Kevin Spacey, his character quotes Charles Baudelaire when he says this, quote, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. And like that, he was gone. End quote. In Revelation 12, verse 9, Satan is referred to as that old serpent who deceives the world. Satan's endgame is just that, to deceive us, especially in the area of who God is and what God has said. In Ephesians 5, Paul wrote, "...have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them." It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be, listen now, very careful then how you live. Do you hear that? Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise 
but as wise, making the most out of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Because the days are evil. Ephesians 6 in our text says, Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. I'm going to read that again. Why? Because I can. Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Depending on your interpretation, brothers and sisters, evil days are already here. They have arrived. Communism is merely Satanism repackaged. Thank you for that laughter, Linda. Communism is merely Satanism reimagined. Now, please understand that in this brief message that I have been preaching, I have not even so much as scratched the surface of Marx and his philosophy. Because the deeper you do a dive into communism and Marxism and such, the more insidious, dark, and horrific it becomes. Now, if anybody here, as I mentioned early in this message, is a student of history, all you have to do is look through the history that you've lived through yourself sitting here. Lived through that. Go back in time. Look through those things. And you will see what communism is. Fascinating is the fact that it looks just like something dreamed up by Satan. Do you remember when I read earlier what the Lord said about Satan in Isaiah? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Well, let me tell you something. If it comes under the name of communism or it comes under the name of Satanism or it comes under the name of anything that is not exalting the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, let me tell you, it is all about Satan. And it is always about Satan. Just like it was all about Marx when he walked this earth. And anyone who is gullible enough Foolish enough, naive enough to uh, buy into that deception. Communism, Marxism, socialism, liberalism, progressivism. They're all the same thing. They're all the same thing. And those individuals who are willing to buy into those philosophies, those political doctrines, all they are, they are nothing more than useful idiots. Biblical language calls them deceived. Last week, I preached on a subject I titled, Welcome to Cluster B. This message isn't about a political system, ladies and gentlemen. This message today isn't about a political party, even a specific candidate, or any such nonsense. That's not what we're talking about. This message is about you. And this message is about me. We are born-again believers living in this dark world and called to make a difference. We are called to be a light in the darkness. This isn't about politics. This isn't about Republicans and Democrats. This isn't about Bidens versus Trumps. This has nothing to do with that. This overshadows them in such a way that makes that contest so minuscule and so insignificant, it cannot even be spoken. This is about you and I, called by the King 
of kings to make a difference while we walk this sod. Because the days of evil are here. Therefore, finally, put on the full armor of God so that you can make your stand. You will be able to stand. That you won't be swept away by concepts and pressures and ideas that are devoid of the presence of God Himself. Put it on. Keep it on. Yes? Amen. Stand with me this morning. Believe it or not, I'm done. Tanner, if you would help me just simply by moving that stand over there. Last week we started the practice, or should I say we restarted the practice, of bringing prayer cards to the front as we close. Are there any prayer cards in the, in the house today that need to be brought forward and anointed with oil and prayed over? No? With that said, is there anyone here this morning who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Is there anyone here, aside from meeting the brothers and sisters here from the Gideons, pretty much I know about everybody here. So I don't think that you're in need of salvation, but I'm going to give it out there. Is there anybody... I'm just going to wait just a moment. If there's no one, we're going to... Stephen, go ahead and bring Jerry down. We're going to pray. I need to have the elders of the church join me in the front. Tina, if you will. going to go to the Lord in prayer. Colton, would you cut my mic, please? Everybody, I'm wanting to let you know what's going on here. Jerry has come up because his PSA count has elevated to over a thousand now. And he's on his second round of various chemos and nothing's moving his PSA count. So with that said, we need to go to the Lord in prayer and lift him up. And just ask the Lord to do something that only the Lord can do because they don't call it practicing medicine for a reason. They're practicing. They can't fix everything. But God can. So let's pray. Join this group in prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we worship you and praise you and give you all glory. Father, we ask right now in the name of Jesus that you minister to Jerry. Father, your word tells us that we can call on you. Father, that we can call on you. We brought the elders of the church together. Father, we've anointed with oil. Father, we are laying on a hands. And Father, I'm asking right now in the name of Jesus that you would minister to Jerry's body. Father, you are the all-powerful, almighty King of Kings. And Lord, we're asking right now in Jesus' name that you do a work that, Lord, we can't do. The doctors can't do it. You can do it. You're the Creator. So we pray right now according to the Word of God. You minister to this man, I pray in Jesus' name. Let healing come. Let restoration come. Father, let it only bring glory to you in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Praise God. With that said, I'd like to thank you guys for being here today. 
I appreciate you so much for all that you do for the church in the name of the Lord, for your tithes, for your offering to keep these, this, this uh, campus running. Uh, it's all you, and I appreciate that so very much. Remember, we're closing down Connect Groups today. If you have a group that you're still attending, 3 o'clock. We will see you then. Blessings. We'll see you this week. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Surrendered all I am is yours.